Kane is in the building. It's Champ Week, baby! Welcome to Hunt with Bruce, college football, conference championship week. Hunt, how excited are you for this week? It's finally here. We go from rivalry, rivalry, God, that's such a tongue twister, rivalry week <laughs> last week to championship week this weekend. No better way to start off the month of December or, or close out the month of November for a couple of these Friday championship games in the MAC and the Pac-12, but it's the most wonderful time of the year. You get your holiday shopping in, you come home, you turn on some championship games, you got Army-Navy next weekend, and then we roll right into bowl season, which to me... Bowl season is my March Madness, so uh, if you're a big football fan, there's no better time to be alive right now. And wait, update, Ohio State just scored again. I'm watching the game right now behind me. Ohio State just scored again on Michigan. (laughs) It's a bloodbath. Don't let anybody else watch it. Make sure the kids aren't in the room to watch that absolute murder that went on. We we had to play ballers for champ week, but I I guess that was kind of for the Buckeyes, too, because they were balling. (laughs) <laughs> on Saturday afternoon. That's for sure. That's for sure. And you know what? I had another real quick uh before we get to some highlights. I did have a a sound bit that I got from Harbaugh before he did his actual post-game press conference. It's real quick. No boogers. <laughs> <laughs> Nose picker got shut down <laughs> all afternoon. And we'll get into that game and all the other games that we saw on Saturday. Some crazy games, some huge ones that are setting up even bigger games uh, come this weekend, as you kind of mentioned. But first, I think we wanted to start out with some highlights from the weekend that was. And we'll start uh, with one of the longest losing streaks that ended on Saturday up in the cold area of the state. Finally. In the Arctic air of November 2018, there are new axe handlers on the move. Minnesota claims Paul Bunyan's axe for the first time in 15 years. On third and one, Gaskin behind Jacob Kaiser explodes. There goes Miles Gaskin. Will they track him down? Inside the 10. He's in. Touchdown on an explosion from Miles Gaskin. An 80 yard touchdown. His third of the game. Game on the line. Zone 21, KJ Hill at the 20.
for snap again on third and six. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones, a letter roll. Tony Jones makes a cover, gets a block, and scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Yeah, they've called it much more tightly. It's a different officiating crew here tonight, obviously. And we saw Stillwater Greer pulls up in the air and now loose on the ground. And Oklahoma has it. Curtis Bolton taking off for the end zone. Second defensive score of the night for Oklahoma. How about that? Perkins held on to it. And that ball came out loose. Is it over? A scrum for the ball, and if Virginia Tech has it, they win. Emmanuel Billboard has it, and the Hokies survive another scare from the Cavaliers. What a win in overtime, and it's 15 in a row. 41 yards out. The kick. It's good. Iowa wins it. The play fake to him, end around handoff to Cody White. Cody's at the 20, at the 15, at the 10, at the 5. Inside the right pylon, into the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. From 22 yards away, great block from Matt Sokol. That one's blocked and headed the other way. There goes Hunter Dale looking for two. Tevis Bartlett trying to chase him down and save two points to no avail. Wowza. I think I went way over on the highlights there. But I'll tell you what, there were so many good plays on Saturday. I just felt like I'd be doing a disservice if I left any of them out. And, of course, I think you heard that second to last one. I had to slip Michigan State in there because it might be their last touchdown of the season. You never know with the Spartans. I figured you'd find a way to slip an MSU highlight in there, if you can call it a highlight from Saturday. <laughs> yeah, it was a light. Let's put it, it that way. It was definitely light, yeah. Oh, my gosh. But of all the games, obviously, some of the highlights that stuck out, the game that stuck out, uh, you know, outside of your Irish, I know you loved that one, but the game in Columbus, the Wolverines come into – Ohio State, the horseshoe, this is their best shot to win after losing 13 of the last 14. They've got the Big Ten East on the line, potentially the Big Ten Championship, and the CFP. And they laid the biggest goose egg of Harbaugh's life. That's all it really came down to was them laying the goose egg there. And it wasn't, I mean, if you look at it on paper, Right. Both teams had 28 first downs. They were both around the same on third down efficiency. You know, Michigan gained 401 yards of total offense on the day. They had over 150 yards rushing. Ohio State even had 12 penalties for 150 yards. So and Michigan won the time of possession. So if you looked at it on paper and not and didn't look at the score, you'd think this was probably a fairly even matchup and a lot closer than a 23 point deficit for the Wolverines. But I think it really was that third quarter when Ohio State scored 17 points and Michigan uh, laid a, a big goose egg with zero points in the third quarter to open up the second half. And once that train that is Ohio State started rolling downhill, there was almost nothing that the Wolverines could do. 
And I don't think Michigan is this bad. I also don't think Ohio State is really this good. But in the moment, once Ohio State started to gain some momentum there uh, midway and, and late into the third quarter and scoring 17 points uh, pretty quickly on, on the Wolverines in that third frame, you just started to see the wheels fall off and some surrender Cobras, maybe some tears from the Michigan fans that were in the stadium. And I almost feel bad for Michigan, almost. But a part of me is also kind of happy to see uh, Michigan removed from the playoff conversation for now, unless something absolutely crazy happens this weekend around college football. Yeah, you said it. And full disclosure, before we get into uh, more of the stats, more of the plays, um, I enjoyed that almost as much as a Michigan State victory over Michigan. That was so much fun to watch. I found myself laughing on the couch as I watched that. The key plays to me was that the pump block was <clears> humongous. <throat> and then that that Paris Campbell run where he took it 70 yards down the sidelines and actually gained room on everybody from Michigan. It showed you that Ohio State still wins the speed game uh, versus the Wolverines, and they've got that upper-tier speed that you see from the likes of Alabama and Clemson. Um, you mentioned also that on paper – it looked much closer than 23 points. But if you watched the game, I thought that it looked much worse than 23 points because at times it looked like Ohio State was like, yeah, whatever, if you get in the end zone, we don't care because we're going to score in 14 seconds going the other way, and then you can try you know, your six-minute drive again, but you're never going to catch us. Yeah, and with Dwayne Haskins playing the way that he did, I did see a few pundits kind of re-enter him, him into that Heisman conversation along with Tua and Kyler Murray. But, you know, he finishes the day with 396 yards through the air, six touchdowns. This was the the most points I think Michigan has ever allowed, uh, certainly against Ohio State. Yeah, um, in the series. And, and Yeah, in the entire series. Uh, it's, it's a tough loss, tough pill for Michigan fans to swallow because if this team couldn't get it done against Ohio State knowing – all of the struggles that the Buckeyes have had up to this point, you know, allowing 51 against Maryland, losing by 29 on the road to Purdue. It seemed like the stars had finally aligned for Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines and then to have all that taken away in a three hour time span down in Columbus is just, I think, catastrophic for a lot of the Michigan fans. But still plenty to, to be hopeful for. You know, they could still get a Rose Bowl bid if Ohio State sneaks its way into the college football playoff. And like I said, I don't think Michigan is this bad. You know, I don't think they're if this game were played 10 times, I wouldn't be surprised if it was split five and five. And it would be very interesting to see this game maybe played at a neutral site or up in Ann Arbor. Um, so I think Michigan is still one of the certainly one of the top 10 teams in the country. Uh, they just were, were put into a bad position. And, and once the that Ohio State started to gain some of that momentum at home, the crowd started to rally behind them. Uh, things just kind of fell apart for Michigan. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would agree with the, you know, split out of 10 games because I think, you know, we've mentioned Coach Klein from Waterboy before, and I think that Urban Meyer just has Harbaugh's number, and there's nothing he can do about it. I mean, if you take away take away the gift touchdown that the Buckeyes gave Michigan at the end of the first half because of the worst uh, kickoff catch or, or attempt to catch I've ever seen in my life, and... Ohio State probably scores on that kickoff if he catches it because, shoot, they took the ball down and almost scored a touchdown, settled for a field goal 
with only 41 seconds left after Michigan took that gift and scored a touchdown. So I think we see a game that's maybe closer to 77 to, to 24. So, I mean, even worse if that, that uh, kickoff doesn't end up in the hands of Michigan. You mentioned penalties. It looked like the refs, to me, got a phone call from Delaney at the Big Ten office and said, hey, don't let this get out of hand. And the refs tried their darndest, but they still couldn't do anything about it. You mentioned 150-some penalty yards. There were two huge missed penalties uh, in favor of Michigan. There was the targeting on Haskins when he slid, where they hit him late. And as soon as you slide, you're giving yourself up. So, right, that's a defenseless quarterback, not just any player. And then you had a third down where the pass went to the sidelines, I believe, by Haskins. But they show the play again in the middle of the field. The Michigan uh, corner is just all over this Ohio State receiver that was coming out of a break and would have been wide open. It seemed like an easy one to see, uh, particularly because the ref was standing right there. Those were two. There might have been more. uh, But I thought the refing was horrible. And then... You mentioned the defense for Michigan. This was their this was the game for them to show they were the number one defense in the nation. And you could have played where in the world is Carmen San Diego with Chase Winovich, Devin Bush, and Rashawn Gary. Because they were nowhere to be seen. Anywhere. He couldn't do anything against an offensive line that was mediocre for half the season. Yeah, and I think the one thing that I noticed as well is just the contrast in styles of play where Ohio State plays a little more up-tempo. Their offense is a little more dynamic as opposed to Michigan, who still, for whatever reason, through the Harbaugh era and even going back uh, before Harbaugh uh, for a number of years, it's it's mostly, you know, line up and eye formation or single back and, and hand it off, and it's three yards in a cloud of dust. And you saw it bite Wisconsin this year. You know, that's that's one of the reasons why Wisconsin ended up going 7-5. and five. And uh, for Michigan, I think in the future – if they want to not be sitting at home in early December and make its way to Indianapolis at some point for a Big Ten title game, they're going to have to come up with something a little more uh, high tempo on offense to be able to compete with and keep keep pace with teams like Ohio State. Otherwise, you know, maybe eight and one in the conference and watching your rivals play on that first Saturday in December for a Big Ten title is is just as good as it gets for Michigan. Well, I think Harbaugh's got to keep his nose out of the offensive play calling and let them open it up, like you said, a little bit. Um, b- because they didn't go downfield at all. Mm-hmm. They've got, I mean, they threw a couple maybe, but they've got great receivers. They had Black back, they got uh, DPJ, and then they got Nico Collins, who Collins had some big catches in that game, even though it was kind of, uh, you know, for nothing, since they were already down by so much. But they got to open that up, spread out Ohio State a little bit. And again, on defense, I don't know how many crossing routes Ohio State has thrown this season, but it's got to be about a 1,000. And yet Michigan acted like they'd never seen those plays before. But the offense wasn't any different as far as I'm concerned from what they've done all year. And, you know, Don Brown looked confused and never adjusted in the second half. And so I think that's what cost the Wolverines overall because, again, that gift touchdown had them in a perfect spot going in to halftime. Yeah, and you – and you had talked about not going down the field very often with Shea Patterson and some of those talented receivers. You know, Patterson threw the ball 34 times, and he only threw for 187 yards. So they only had, with Patterson in the game, you know, averaging about five and a half yards per attempt. And we've talked about it on on previous podcasts and previous episodes. 
Ohio State is prone to allowing those big-time plays and big-chunk plays to opposing offenses, and it just seemed like Michigan was, for whatever reason, kind of afraid to take a shot down the field uh, in, earlier in the game when it probably could have made a difference. And then, you know, by the time they were, they found themselves down by 16, 20 plus points, it was almost too little too late. At that point, it didn't really matter what they did on offense because Ohio State was just going to get the ball back, drive down the field and score themselves. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing that I had mentioned uh, a couple weeks in a row on Michigan's defense is I mentioned the cornerbacks might be the issue for them. And you saw, obviously, Haskins had no trouble finding open receivers. But also, when they weren't open, there were some pass interference penalties that were called because Michigan is known for getting handsy. And that Don Brown defense is basically get away with whatever you can with your hands. Use them, pull them, you know, tackle them if you can. As long as you don't get caught, it's not a big deal. And so they actually got caught for being a little too aggressive on some of those plays as well. The last thing I'll say, and if you want to wrap something up before we move on, is Michigan fans aren't going to like to hear this, but I think that this season is kind of a bust because you were looking at, hey, we haven't won the East, we haven't won the Big Ten since Harbaugh's been here. Since we had a Big Ten championship game in Indy, they've never been. They've never won one side, obviously, to get to Indy, and Harbaugh was supposed to take you to the promised land. This was your best chance so far to get there, and in the biggest game of his life and of Michigan's life since, what, 2006, they shit the bed. They Mm -hmm. shit the bed. It was horrible. And so now you go back to the drawing board, and if you think about where the other teams were in the Big Ten East, I don't think any year going forward looks any better than this year did for Michigan's chances. Ohio State will be better and older. Penn State won't be this bad. I know they only have three losses, but they they were bad this year. And mm-hmm. Michigan State, they might be this bad because D'Antonio is going to keep running, you know, kneel outs basically on offense and just hope his defense can score 13 points to win games. But yeah, I, I just don't think they have a good chance. Yeah, and and you you're probably right that this was very likely Michigan's best shot at winning the Big Ten and competing for a spot in the college football playoff. And you've already got guys like Rashawn Gary. He's announcing for the NFL draft after this year and foregoing uh, next season in Ann Arbor. So you're going to see some of these key elements that have made up that vaunted Don Brown defense over the last couple of years uh, start to jump ship for a a paycheck on Sundays. And is that going to have a significantly negative impact on this Michigan team? Quite possibly. I I still think that the future is not all gloom and doom for uh, for Wolverine fans. And I think that they did take some strides this year on checking off a couple of those boxes for their revenge tour, which did, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the revenge tour didn't start until week two and it ended before week 13. But everything in between <laughs> there, all of their other tour stops, you know, they were able to, to secure a victory and, and get a W. But, um, yeah, I think the last thing that I would say on this Michigan-Ohio State game is I, I just looked at the TV and Ohio State scored again, so I'm not sure what else <laughs> Michigan is supposed to do at this point. No, and like you said, Winovich is gone too. I bet you Devin Bush goes early. Mm-hmm. Maybe you even lose like a Lavert Hill at yep. corner. Um, so, yeah, that could be, you know, it could be a retooling um, year for Michigan or offseason rather. And and I'm not saying at all that Michigan's going to go to you know seven wins or six and six or or even eight wins for that matter. I think they still get nine or ten a year. 
mm-hmm. but is that what you're paying seven, eight, nine million dollars to Jim Harbaugh to do? Is just get third, second in the Big Ten East? I, I don't mm-hmm. think that's why they brought him in and gave him almost Nick Saban money. So the, they're the working for answers. For, and the worst part for Michigan fans too. I think at this point, now that Notre Dame has locked in a spot in the college football playoff is they've seen their three biggest rivals in Ohio State, Notre Dame and Michigan State make that playoff at least once in Ohio State's case, multiple times. And Michigan, uh, for for whatever reason, just hasn't been able to take that leap and secure a spot in the final four. I think that's going to rub a lot of Michigan fans the wrong way. Um, you know, and, and this year they could possibly see two of their rivals in Notre Dame and Ohio State get into the playoffs. So if I were a Michigan fan, knowing that um, and, and knowing that you probably can't do much better than bringing in somebody like Jim Harbaugh you know, and you have to look at your schedule every single season and see Ohio State there on that final weekend in November, that's a little scary. Yeah, well, this was your guy. So you, this is the best guy you're going to get at Michigan. So it's it's Jim Harbaugh or bust until he retires himself or goes to the NFL. You just got to hope he puts it together and eventually gets you guys to the promised land because you're not mm-hmm. getting rid of him. You right. can't because that admits that there's nobody that can come in and do this because that, again, unless you're going to try to go get Saban somehow, I, I don't know how you're going to do that. But anyways, we spent a lot of time on that, although I did enjoy it, uh, talking about it, watching it, all the above. There were a lot of other good games on that we, you know, we had some highlights of looking at. We had the seven overtime uh, Texas A&M LSU game. We had the Oklahoma West Virginia game that almost had the same amount of points as Texas A&M LSU, and they played no overtimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Twelve theme there, no defense. You had the Washington Washington State Apple Cup with CFP implications on the line, mm-hmm. and it was a snow fest. What did you like most those three games? What was your your favorite one to watch? Hard to choose from those three because they were all you couldn't turn away from any of them. Right. I think the LSU Texas A and M game is probably one that's that's going to go on you know forever as one of those games that people always talk about moving forward. You know, it tied the record for the longest game catching seven overtimes. It was the highest scoring game in college football history. So congrats on everybody that took the over. That was kind of free money <laughs> for sure. Um, I, I remember this game, I was sitting at my brother's and Notre Dame had just wrapped up. And I think uh, the LSU Texas A&M game was either going towards the end of the first overtime or just getting started with the second overtime. I got up to leave and my brother-in-law said, you're not going to stick around for the end of this game. And I said, this thing, this thing's going to go to seven overtimes. I'm not going to sit here for another hour and watch it. And then I had a 30 minute drive home. I get home and it's it's in the fifth overtime at that point. So I had a feeling it was probably going to go a couple more, and then I woke up the next morning. I did not admittedly catch the end of the, the final frame uh, of these overtimes in this game, so um, I didn't I didn't see Texas A&M pull off the, not. I guess you can't call it an upset since they were the favorite, but they pulled right. off a very exciting victory against LSU in a game where at one point, I think ESPN posted they had a 0.2% chance of winning this one. Um, so certainly thrilling. I feel bad for LSU because I, I think that they kind of got gypped in the end um, with Kellen right. Mond, you know, clutching that ball on his knee uh, and and being able to take that to review after he had thrown a, uh, an interception on that same play. I also feel bad for Coach O because he had to sit in a soaking wet polo for seven overtimes <laughs> after uh, prematurely getting doused with a Gatorade bath by his team. Um, so I feel for for everybody, especially the LSU fans, I think this possibly even knocks LSU out of a New Year's Six game 
and maybe puts Texas A&M into a little bit better of a bowl, possibly the Outback Bowl against a decent Big Ten opponent. But overall, you know, um, those other two games that you had mentioned with Washington, Washington State and Oklahoma, West Virginia were equally as exciting in their own right. But how can you how can you not talk about a seven overtime SEC thriller between LSU and Texas A&M? Yeah, I, well, I just think it drives the point home of no defense in the Big 12 because it takes them seven overtimes mm-hmm. to get in the neighborhood of a regulation Big 12 game. Um, you mentioned LSU might have had a couple screw jobs uh, in the process of losing that game. I think there was some uh, nice home clock management there towards the end of regulation to give them one last play yeah, uh, just to tie it up. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was a great game. I thought coach O was definitely going to go skins in one of those overtimes. I'm surprised he (laughs) didn't, but, uh, I think that would have been cool and intimidating and maybe one on the game, Mm -hmm. but you could see on defense, those defenses were so tired every overtime. It was like the first or second play of each team on offense. It was a touchdown. And then the, the other defense is back on the field and it was just, it kind of was, it wasn't as fun to watch like an LSU team that you hear is is cornerback you, right? They got guys that can lock everybody up, yet Mon's out there throwing a touchdown every other play in the overtimes. So it was fun for sure. We'll never see yeah. another game like that. Um, I wish I would have seen the Washington-Washington State game. I was on a plane and couldn't get that channel, uh, but that looked like fun. You know, it's snowing everywhere. Everybody's sliding around. Every time they get tackled, they actually go like 12 more yards past yep. the tackle. Um, you had well, a couple. That, that one yeah, yeah. started. That one started. It was pouring rain, and then I think probably midway, late, late into the first quarter, it sort of transitioned into really heavy snow with the big snowflakes. That you could just tell that by the by the fourth quarter, that field was going to be a mess. And I, I think it certainly had an impact on the outcome of the game because Washington State, a team that has to throw the ball to have any success you know they just weren't able to get things going through the air and uh washington was the was the benefactor from that and they come away with possibly even the pac-12 championship i I think them playing utah this week we'll get into it a little bit further here shortly but with them playing a utah team that is without their starting quarterback you know that that was a big win for the huskies and ultimately could land them in in the rose bowl yeah and you know washington state could probably play uh, Michigan's favorite card, which is the rain card. You mm-hmm. know, that's the reason for a loss uh, sometimes over there in Ann Arbor. But Washington State, I think, you know, at least would have had a better chance. They probably would have won had it just been a normal day because their passing attack is what they do. And, and you know, with the snow and the rain, it's hard to throw the ball. And, and you saw um, Gaskins had three touchdowns, had over, you know, 150 yards on the ground. So it was, it was a day where the quarterbacks were only running, not throwing very often. Another couple games that we had that we'll just touch on real quick. Um, you had UCF who hung on to win, but they lost their star, Mackenzie Milton. Gruesome knee injury. They actually thought based on some blood flow issues that they might have to amputate his leg initially. Um, the good news is he's, he's okay. He was walking on it. I don't know if his if his career's over or not because I think it might be an injury that keeps him from running around. He'll still be able to walk around. So tough story there. Mm-hmm. And then you had FSU finally misses a bowl game. Florida took him to the woodshed. And then the first highlight we heard was Minnesota after losing 14 straight years 
and 21 of 23, they get the axe back from Wisconsin, row the boat, hack the axe, whatever PJ Flex running with these days. That was a cool win to see. Um, and I'm sure that celebration, PJ Fleck was probably crowd surfing, and he probably took his shirt off like Ed Ogeron should have done. Oh, I'm I'm sure of it. And that's the reason why you bring in a guy like PJ Fleck. Minnesota, I think we can all agree, is probably never going to compete for a Big Ten West championship. Maybe at some point in PJ Fleck's tenure, if he doesn't get snagged by another bigger program at some point in the next few years. But you bring him in to to win games like this. Um, to beat Wisconsin, to end uh, a long losing streak against a rival, to get the axe. I mean, he has that energy and that charisma that you look for in a young football coach. And uh, I, I think for Minnesota, this was huge because they not only win the game, but they get to six wins. So they're going bowling. Uh, right. I'm not sure if, not sure if they're going to go to like a premier bowl game on New Year's Day. They'll probably end up in Detroit at the yeah. Quick Lane Bowl. But I, I, this is this is a huge step in the right direction for Minnesota for PJ Fleck. Uh, and I think it's uh, it could be a sign of more things to come from Minnesota. Also might be a sign of worse things to come for Wisconsin, who, you know, coming into the game, they were sitting at uh, seven and four. The season was already a disappointment. But then to have Alex Hornibrook return from uh, from a concussion after and he missed the last two games, you know, he throws three interceptions. Minnesota scores 24 points off of those miscues and the Gophers come away, not just with a victory, but with a double digit victory over Wisconsin. So um, I know we're going to get into this on another topic later on in the podcast, but Wisconsin, you know, that was, that was a team that everyone thought might be 12 and 0 or 11 and one at this point playing Ohio state or Michigan for a big 10 title. And now they're at seven and five and, and kind of towards the bottom of those rankings. And in, in yeah, I, I got suckered into that. Because I should have known better because Alex Hornybrook is horny broke and is one of the worst QBs in the Big Ten in the nation. Wisconsin cannot have a guy at QB like that as Wisconsin. they got to be able to find somebody better than that. Although I do like lefties throwing the ball, just not that lefty. Um, And like you mentioned, not to spend too much time on a Minnesota-Wisconsin game, but P.J. Fleck, that's what they need him to do. Maybe he wins eight games. Maybe there's a miracle and he gets nine games one year. But they need him to just go seven and five, maybe eight and four in a really good year and beat Iowa, Minnesota, or Minnesota, sorry, Wisconsin. Don't beat yourself. He's done that enough already this year. But beat beat your rivals. Have at least, you know, at least make a bowl game, even if it's out to Ford Field. Those are the types of things that they expect at Minnesota, and he's doing it this year. So that that is perfect. I'm not forgetting about your boys, but I want to leave them for last because I think there's some we can talk about there. Um, the last thing I'll talk about before we get to the Irish is, you know, MSU accidentally, as I told you, beat Rutgers as hard as they tried to lose it, as much as Dave Warner tried to, like, go backwards with the ball. Um, they came out at the end 14-10. to 10. Thanks again to the defense. Yep. Um, it's all about the defense. Yep. It, it's a, it was a brutal display on offense again. Very quickly run down here. The first 12 possessions MSU had, eight punts, two interceptions, and a turnover on downs when they went for it on fourth and one, and that's got to be the 36th time we can't get one damn yard on fourth down. We actually get hit for a loss again. They've averaged 13 points over the last 16 games per game. They had 26 total points over the last three games two touchdowns of those 26 
four field goals if you're doing the math. This season they've had 16 field goals and 26 touchdowns. You should never be that close with field goals to touchdowns. And so now we're looking for that offensive coordinator. D'Antonio doesn't want to budge, but Cliff Kingsbury's out there. He's looking for a job. Matt Canada might lose his gig at Maryland as the interim. Go get somebody, Mark. Replace Dave Warner. I saw shirts at the game on Saturday from pictures I saw because I wasn't there, but it was fire Dave Warner shirts, get rid of Warner. So the lynch mob's out. I'm part of the lynch mob. Get rid of them. That's all we'll say. You don't even need to comment unless you want to. Otherwise, take us into the ND game. No, I'll comment on the Michigan State game real quick. I'm just damn glad I took the under in that one. Easiest that. pick of easiest pick of my life. Uh, transitioning, well, other than the over in the LSU Texas A&M game, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, going into the Notre Dame game, um, that was it was scary for a while there. Uh, that first quarter ended. Uh, Notre Dame was down seven nothing at the end of the first quarter. Uh, USC at one point had a ten to nothing lead before. The Irish decided that they were going to play some ball, and, and they scored late in the, th- in the second quarter with a 24-yard pass from Book to Chris Fink uh, with just over two minutes left in the half to go down 10-7. to 7. So after that touchdown pass, I started to feel a little bit better because I figured that the defense would start to make some plays um, and, and hold uh, USC outside of their own territory. Figured the offense would get a few things going on the ground, which is certainly something that they need in order to have any success. Um, through the air, especially by setting up that ground game. So once Dexter Williams kind of broke the game open with his 52-yard run early on in the third quarter to give Notre Dame the lead, I felt fairly comfortable that they were going to win that game. But, uh, you know, I think dating back to last week when we were making our picks, I said that if it was any closer than 11 points that I was going to need a defibrillator. And there wasn't one on hand. I was looking for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost uh, express ordered one off of Amazon for that second half. But you know, Notre Dame went in, they did what they had to do, which was win. I think they are a lock for the playoff at this point at 12-0. and And for anybody arguing against Notre Dame getting into the playoff, um, they have the most wins against any AP Top 25 team. Uh, they have the most wins against AP Top 25 teams. They have uh, the most wins against FBS teams on the season. Uh, they stand at 12 and 0. They don't schedule cupcakes early into or you know into November like some of the SEC schools do. So I think they've earned a place, even though they're not playing for a conference championship this weekend. You know them going 12 and 0, I think is equivalent to a lot of these teams like a Clemson playing in the ACC going 13 and 0, and all they got to do is beat Pitt, you know, to get into the playoffs. So overall, cool. uh, not not the cleanest game for Notre Dame, but they got the job done against a rival out west in a month that they traveled over 10,000 miles to play games. So you know, I, I'm satisfied with, with the result. Yeah, and if, if you're someone that thinks Notre Dame shouldn't get in there because they don't have a championship game, number one, they don't play cupcakes like Citadel, uh, which is basically a bye week for those teams that play these, these teams that can barely put a team on the field against a Power 5 squad. Secondly, oh, you want them to play in a championship game? Oh, you want them to go play Northwestern? They already did. They beat them by double digits. You want them to go play Pitt? Yeah, they didn't kill them, but they already beat them. So they've already beaten the teams that are in the championship games. So there's your championship. They they already won. They already won the ACC, and they already won the, the Big Ten. So <laughs> it's over. They're in. If they don't get in, 
The only reason they don't get in, Ryan, is because the committee wants to tell them that's how they tell them you have to be in a conference. Yeah. So if they want to say you have to be in a conference next year, don't put them in and bet your ass they'll be in a conference next week. They'll join the ACC or Delaney will come knocking and say, hey, we got a better deal for you up in Big Ten country, which I wouldn't mind if 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 they missed it just because if they came to the Big Ten, that would be a a a great consolation prize. Um, But the couple things I saw from Notre Dame. Book did not throw the throw the ball very well uh, throughout the game. He missed a couple balls that either were touchdowns or some big gains, uh, particularly in the first half. But you're going to have a bad game here and there. I think it was just you know an outlier throughout this season. He'll be fine going forward. Um, and then you talked about the cover with Michigan State or the under rather Notre Dame. I had 75 big ones on there. They covered until they didn't (laughs) with 30 seconds left. Ripped my heart out. The good news is I still have some cash left. Um, And I did almost have a a blow up there, though, like a poker style blow up and bet it all on crazy random games on Sunday in the NFL. But I I kept my cool (laughs) and kept my bank account intact. So I knew that you had taken the over. I'm sorry. I knew you had taken Notre Dame to cover in that in that one. uh, And you had laid a little bit of money on it. So once Notre Dame went up 24 to 10 with just over three minutes left in the fourth quarter, I thought, all right, you know, the, the defense will get a stop or a turnover here and Ricky will be happy. But then yeah. USC puts together a nine play 60 yard drive and they score with 48 ticks on the clock. And my heart sank for you. I've been there before. And I think that was certainly a bad beat for a lot of people who probably looked at that 11 point spread and thought, eh, there's no way Notre Dame doesn't cover this. But once again, daddy Vegas, you know, they rip your heart out, and I've said it before, that's the reason why they build casinos out there, because they take all your money and run with it. Yeah, absolutely, and I didn't catch the end of the game. I watched the first three quarters, and then, like I said, I was up in the air and couldn't get ABC uh, for the game. But when I saw the highlights, damn ESPN shows the final touchdown for Notre Dame, says they're up 14, and says, and they basically, you know, it was over after that. And then, so I'm I'm about ready to cheer, and then they go, oh, and they got a you know a dirty touchdown at the end, and I'm like, damn it, ESPN, you had me all jacked up here on the plane. But one last thing before we go to our biggest disappointments this season, which the Trojans will be part of. Did you get goosebumps when I played that highlight there of uh, what's his face number six running back going in for the touchdown, and they said he may have just punched the ticket for no. Oh Dan yeah, that was. I- that really was the play of the game because up until that point, you always felt like while Notre Dame had the talent to win, they had the coaching to win, they got the defense to win, and the offense, you know, USC was hanging around. They were playing them tough. Yeah. Uh, they, they were making drives and, and making some boneheaded mistakes in clutch situations, but they were still within seven points at that time. So, uh, yeah, once, uh, uh, once Book dropped that off to Tony Jones Jr. and he took it to the house from 51 yards out, you sort of knew that was it right there. You know, there were only three minutes left. Um, if USC had staged a late comeback there, it would have kind of been miraculous. But, you know, that that certainly will go down as one of the biggest plays, I think, in Notre Dame history, along with their goal line stand against USC back in 2012 as well. So, yeah, I got goosebumps when you played that clip, and I've been watching that clip over and over all week. Yeah, I bet. that was. I, I even got goosebumps a little bit, and, and I'm not an Irish fan, Uh not even close. 
I got a jersey uh, that you can wear for the uh, CFP on December 29th if you'd like. I haven't decided which jersey I'm going to put on yet for the CFP. (laughs) I I don't know what bandwagon I'm going to get on. By the way, I did say what's-his-face. I I do watch football. I know it's Dexter Williams. Sometimes the parting I did in college does not allow my brain to catch up to my my speaking. So, you know, I just couldn't – tip of the tongue there. But uh, great game nonetheless. Notre Dame punches their ticket. You still got teams that that are waiting. Notre Dame's the only one that officially is in. I know we can say Bama's in, Clemson's in, you know, Oklahoma's in, Georgia, whatever it is. But really, Notre Dame's the only one that's officially punched their ticket. Teams that were going to punch their tickets or had a shot at it ranked going into the season and have completely fallen apart. That's what we want to go into next. The biggest disappointments of the season – I'm going to give you a list of teams here. You tell me which one is your biggest disappointment. We've got Wisconsin, who we've mentioned, 7-5 and five this year, went into the season ranked number four. Michigan State, 7-5, and five, went into the season ranked number 11. Miami, 7-5, and five, went into the season ranked number eight. And your trend here, 7-5 and five is the way to go. Auburn, 7-5, and five, went into the season ranked number nine. And then a little bit deeper in the teens here, you had TCU who ended up 6-6, six and six, started at number 15, USC at number 16, who ended up 5-7, and seven. and Florida State, who again is going to miss a bowl game for the first time in 30-plus years. They started out at number 19, went 5-7, and seven, and this is the second year in a row now that they've started out ranked the year before in particular much higher before they lost uh, their QB there, uh, but they they end up unranked. And so who, out of those teams, who are you looking at and saying, oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> out of all those teams, and those are all good selections for biggest disappointments, but for me, it's Wisconsin. Like you had mentioned, they came into the season ranked number four. Please nobody go and look at our original blog post from back in August because I put <laughs> Wisconsin in the semifinal game. We all did. Yeah, I think yeah, I think everybody did against Clemson, right? I mean, they they returned one of the best offensive lines in the country. They have Jonathan Taylor, who has done all that he can do as a running back. He's he's leading the nation in in rushing yards right now. Um, he he's certainly one of the best, if not the best, running back in the entire country. So they had enough returning on offense and and on defense to at least make a run at a Big Ten championship and possibly a spot in the college football playoff. But what it came down to for Wisconsin was quarterback play. And Hornibrook, I know he had suffered a couple of injuries throughout the year, but even when he was on the field or when he wasn't on the field, you know, if you have a quarterback that's sitting back there uh, that can't make the, the right throws, can't make the right reads, and just struggles to move the chains, you know, you can't rely on Jonathan Taylor in the offensive line to move the ball on the ground every single play of every single game. At some point, you have to rely on your quarterback to make big throws in certain situations. So I, I think Wisconsin is by far, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest disappointments for the 2018 season. And even if you just go back and look at their schedule, you know, they started off 2-0. and They had a, a huge home loss to BYU 24-21 to in mid-September. And you started to feel a, a little nervous about making any sort of predictions for them to win the Big Ten at that point, but still probably fairly confident that maybe that was just a, a blip on the radar. Um, but then they get waxed by Michigan they lose by 14 on the roads Northwestern 
They only beat Rutgers by 14 points. You know, they lose to Penn State, who Penn State's been struggling all year. And then they they round off the regular season with a 22-point loss uh, to Minnesota for the first time in, in what, what you'd said, 15 years. So, yeah, the wheels have fallen off in Wisconsin. Uh, I, I think Paul Chris is still, you know, probably the guy to, to have there. And hopefully this was just an anomaly and an outlier for this team because they have consistently been one of the most competitive teams out of that division in the Big Ten. Yeah, that's a great pick. Um, you know, like we said, the reason these teams are on the list is because you could pick any of them and make a good argument why they're the biggest disappointment this season. One of the things that stands out is we we said this too before the season started, but every year for the past 11 seasons, make it 12 now, we've had a team in the top 10 that finishes unranked. This year we had three with Wisconsin, uh, Miami, and Auburn. Now things could change. Maybe you know Auburn, you know, gets to eight and five, and for some reason they sneak back in uh, to the top twenty-five. It's doubtful, but you never know. Um, out of those teams, you know, I'm not going to be a homer on this one. I think I've preached enough about my disappointments for the Spartans in East Lansing. Um, I'm going to go with the Trojans, USC. I think this was one of the weaker years in the Pac-12. Obviously, we're not going to have a representative from the Pac-12 for like the forty-sixth time. Uh, in the college football playoff, you know, Washington's holding that lone appearance uh, for the conference. But when you look at USC's schedule and where their wins and losses came from, let me tell you their wins. They beat UNLV. They did beat Washington State. A little controversial at the end, caught them by three. They beat Arizona, Colorado, and Oregon State. So of all those teams, I believe the only team that doesn't have at least five losses is Washington State. They also, in their last six games of the season, they lost to Utah, Arizona State, beat Oregon State, and then lost to Cal, UCLA, and Notre Dame. So they lose five of their last six with their sole win coming against the Beavers that you know never finish better than last in the Pac-12 in any given year. They go out to the Rose Bowl against UCLA. They lay an egg there. And no one traveled for that game. There were no Trojan fans there. And, you know, you can say, oh, it's UCLA wasn't that good this year. Well, they beat you, and you didn't show up for it. They showed up for ND. Very impressive. Good stand there at home. But you can't show up for any of the other big games. You can only show up for Notre Dame at the end of the year when the bowl, you know, going to a bowl game is on the line. So I thought, and they had a QB in place in JT Daniels, who's, who's a solid QB. He played well against Notre Dame. It's not like the scenario that you talked about with Alex Hornibroke that can't throw a pass to save his life where you kind of understand why Wisconsin fell off. Their defense wasn't as strong, and their offense without two receivers that missed because of some uh, you know incidents with the law. You can see why that maybe crumbled a little bit. You just didn't expect it to crumble as bad. I think USC has less excuses for why they didn't come out and uh, at least, gosh, make a bowl game. But, you know, show up and go 8-4 and four, mm-hmm. uh, in a year when the Pac-12 is weak. So that was my pick. Again, you could pick any of them. The silver uh, lining, I think, for USC here is, according to a report that was posted about three or four hours ago, evidently Cliff Kingsbury will be on campus later this week to interview for the offensive coordinator job. So... Possibly some changes coming for USC. I know that they had recently fired their offensive coordinator, so bringing Kingsbury on might be the change that they need. But yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think it was all on the offense this year 
or all on the defense. I think just as a team overall, they didn't get the job done. You know, you're, if you're Clay Helton, you're hired to win big games at USC, and they just they didn't show up for any of those games this year. Well, and I, I think there might have been a caveat with Helton when Lynn Swan kept him on this year and decided to to keep him as a coach. A lot of people thought Swan would get rid of him because he was hired before Lynn took the athletic director, director job. And so a lot of times you see those guys come in and they want their own guy. And when you go five and seven in your, your year, then it's easier for that guy to say, hey, I want my own guy at the head coaching position. He kept him on. And maybe part of that was, hey, you got to make some changes. We need to see some flash come in. You know, USC's used to having those flashy coaches. Maybe Swan saying, you don't have to be the guy helping, but bring somebody in that is. And mm-hmm. Kingsbury would seem to be a good fit uh, for that position. It kind of bugged me <laughs> because yeah. that means he can't go to East Lansing. But I don't, I don't think we'd pay him enough money. D'Antonio won't fire anybody, so we're off that. And but I think let's if get Kingsbury away. Had, I think if Kingsbury had to pick between East Lansing or the beach in L.A., he'd probably take L.A. 10 times out of 10. I think we all would. So <laughs> I don't blame him for that one. Uh, although I know for a fact for when I went out to, to Cali, they do not have a Ricks. They don't have the Riv, all right? So there are some some important factors when you're looking at this of where you're going to go. And half off Wednesday at any bar in California, you're probably still paying like $20 a beer as opposed to $1.50 a shot at Ricks. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You're going broke trying to get drunk out in California. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get away from the disappointing teams. We probably already spent too much time on their broke seasons. And let's go into the CFP. We saw the new rankings come out. Give me your reaction. Anything you saw that you said, hey, this doesn't look right, or I can't believe they're ranked ahead of them. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the rankings on Tuesday? I'll start towards the bottom 10. You know, LSU staying in the top 10, I think, is fine because if you look at who's behind them, you got Washington, Penn State, Washington State, Texas, Kentucky. I think LSU would, would beat all of those teams handily. I think Florida at nine caught me a little by surprise. Thank um, you. Just knowing what they have not been able to do. You know, they had the big win against Florida State, obviously, but Florida State's having a uh, down year, to say the least. You know, they got waxed by Missouri earlier on in the year. Um, you know, uh, they compared to some of the other teams, you know, like Washington might give Florida a run for their money. I'd love to see LSU Florida play against, but I still think Florida at nine uh, might be a little too high for them. Um, Some people are complaining about Michigan being ranked ahead of UCF with UCF at eight and Michigan checking in at the seven spot. If you think for a second that UCF would compete with Michigan, especially now that Mackenzie Milton is out for the season, I think you need a lobotomy and you need that Mm -hmm. brain checked out. Uh, I think UCF at eight is fine where they're at. Um, I I certainly don't think that they'd have uh, make it a game against any of the top 10 teams, but they are undefeated. Um, they're going into an American Athletic Conference Championship against Memphis this weekend. So having them as you know the high, highest group of five team in the top 10 right now is fine. And I'm going to go ahead and get out in front of this debate because we're going to have it after this weekend if Oklahoma and Ohio State both win and end the season at 12-1. and one. The thing I'll say here is as long as Alabama beats Georgia, there's going to be a lot of debate for that fourth spot. And it's going to come down to the Oklahoma Sooners against the Ohio State Buckeyes. And you can compare their offenses. Oklahoma's got the top offense in terms of total yards per game. Ohio State's got the second-ranked offense in terms of total yards per game. Both of their defenses at times are non-existent. Um, 
I think the best thing I could probably say about both defenses is that they're they're porous at times, but that's probably an understatement. Uh, but I think here the biggest difference is their overall body of work, and that's not my term. That's the term that we've heard the committee use uh, ever since the college football playoff came out a few seasons ago. But Ohio State. They have a 29-point loss on the road to Purdue earlier in the year. Oklahoma has a three-point loss in a rivalry game at a neutral site to Texas, a team they're playing again this weekend in the Big 12 championship game. So while Ohio State had that huge victory against Michigan last weekend, I think that's just a snapshot of their season. If you look at overall consistency, I think the Sooners have been more consistent on the year than Ohio State, and they certainly don't have a 29-point loss to anybody on their schedule. So if you're looking at the overall body of work and taking into account championships, which both teams should probably win their conference this weekend, I'd probably give the nod more to Oklahoma than Ohio State for that four spot. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on the matter. Well, no, I, I agree with you. It's tough because I've went back and forth on this ever since I thought that you know we, we would see this just, you know, Ohio State survived Maryland, and we, we knew if they beat Michigan, we'd be having this discussion as long as Oklahoma held on and, and knocked off West Virginia. And the tough part is, is you see Oklahoma give up all these points, and Ohio State's done it too, don't get me wrong, but it's like the same old story with the Big 12. You just see this, you're like, they don't play any defense, and you get to the point, if you're not a Big 12 fan, a fan of a team in the Big 12, it pisses you off when you see them get respect when they can't play defense, especially if you're from the SEC or the Big Ten where defenses come to play and they hit you in the mouth and they do it again and again and again. You watch these Big 12 games and you're like, what is this flag football seven-on-seven bullshit that I'm watching run around out here? However, it shouldn't matter how you win games. If you win all your games or lose one game and you lose by three, it shouldn't matter if the score's three to nothing or 150 to 147. Because Oklahoma says their game plan is we will outscore you. And as long as they do that, it doesn't matter because they're still winning games. And they're, like you said, they're not getting blown out by anybody. Every single game's close, but they win the ones that are close except for one game against Texas. And if they avenge that loss this weekend, then to me, that kind of puts, puts the icing on the cake that, hey, they are better in Texas. They just got caught uh, in one game, which happens to a lot of teams. It's happened to Alabama before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't have a problem with Oklahoma getting in if they win out. I can tell you what to expect from Urban Meyer, though. He's going to go out there against Northwestern and try to hang 70 on them, just like they did against Wisconsin, and he's going to hope that there's another close game against Texas and that the last two games where he'll have, let's say, 140 points in two games, that that will propel him like it did over TCU and Baylor uh, again this time around over Oklahoma and uh, leave the Big 12 conference and community upset once again. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. I thought the biggest knock or mistake, you mentioned it right out of the gate, Florida is six spots ahead of Kentucky. They have the same record, and Kentucky whacks them at home, at at the swamp. Yep. I I don't get that. And and I know the comment is going to be Kentucky's loss the last, I think, three or three out of four, and they haven't looked great. Their offense has always been a weak point. It's been their defense that keeps them in games. Um, But needless to say, they won the head-to-head big time. Um, And so I thought that would get at least the teams a little bit closer. Probably one of the more interesting 
teams, if you look at the top 25, is Missouri. Missouri's 8-4. and four. They come in at 24 in the CFP. They have a loss to South Carolina by two, and they lost to Kentucky on a controversial pass interference call after being up 10 points and you know halfway through the fourth quarter. They blew that game. They could be 10-2 and two right now. So for anybody that picks them up in a bowl game, could be Michigan State. That's a scary team to play against because I think they're underrated uh, big time. Um, and some of that's their own fault. you got to win the close games. But they've been very close there to being that 10-2 and two team. And uh, Wash State, you know, obviously they got no respect. Two losses, and they're below all the three-loss teams. Um, not surprising. Their schedule's not the best. And then lastly, UCF-Michigan. You mentioned it. UCF fans cannot expect to be ahead of Michigan without Mackenzie Millen. I don't know what the game would look like if they had him because Michigan's just bigger, faster, stronger than UCF. However, UCF's going to have an offense that can roll not as well as Ohio State, but they'll have some explosiveness that maybe would would mess with Michigan a little bit. I wouldn't expect them to beat the Wolverines, so I'm I'm completely fine with Michigan staying where they're at. It's a blowout win, you know, by Ohio State, but it's you know Michigan still had a good season. And, uh, you know, they only lost by seven Notre Dame, even though it was probably a little bit uh, wider gap than that uh, overall throughout that game. So, yeah, I I don't have much problem with it. What I do want to see, though, is I want to see the Buckeyes win by 400. I want to see Oklahoma win by six. And I want the committee to have to make a decision that probably will be completely different from how they did it the other three years when they had to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And it's going to call it. Imagine if the the Big Ten misses for the second time in a row from the CFP. Delaney is going to push for eight teams until he's blue in the face, and it'll be interesting to see what happens as early as next season. I think you might see a change. Yeah, I think it's very possible if if the Big Ten doesn't get in. You probably won't see as much of an uproar if the Big 12 doesn't get another team in, but you'll still have plenty of people out there calling for an expansion of the playoff. And they could easily do it. I mean, you've seen people draw up scenarios where you have an eight-team playoff. Um, I think there was an article that I had retweeted earlier this week saying, look, if you did an eight-team playoff starting this week, you'd have Alabama versus UCF in Tuscaloosa. You'd have Clemson versus Michigan in Death Valley. So you'd have all these big matchups. And while we're looking forward to championship week, I'd much rather watch a game like Georgia versus Oklahoma between the hedges as opposed to... Uh, I don't know, Clemson versus Pitt for the ACC championship. So there's a number of different ways you could do it with eight teams. You could do it with 16 teams. My pipe dream, of course, is 64 teams in the college <laughs> football playoff. Sort of a March Madness. Starts style. in October. We'll, we'll, <laughs> yep, yep. We'll never, we'll never probably get there. But I think at some point, someone like in Ohio State is going to get left out of the playoff. And Again. other uh, you know, athletic directors or Big Ten or conference commissioners like Delaney have enough political capital right. uh, and, and time invested with that committee to call for change and possibly even get some of that change instituted. I'd, I'd be awful. I, you know, I like the 14 playoff format right now, just because you and I sit here and we talk about who should be number four, you know, who should be uh, competing for that fourth spot. So it's on the minds of everybody that Absolutely. pays attention to college football. And that's exactly what the committee wants, what ESPN wants. But at some point, I think they're going to have to expand it to eight teams uh, just to have a little more inclusion and, and fairness across the board. Because you don't you don't see, you know, Alabama's in a league of their own, but from like three on down through number eight, nine, ten, 
there's not a whole lot of difference between those teams. And I'd love to see a few, a few more get into the mix there. Yeah, the only problem that you're going to run into is, you know, the Big Ten, for instance, is not going to get rid of their championship game and all the money that they get from Indy to take a split pot with eight teams for that first game against Clemson, you know, Clemson, Michigan, or whoever it might be. You really have to to figure something out for Delaney to take that pay cut and, and mm-hmm. the Big Ten teams to to take that pay cut that make it to Indy for that weekend. Um, I hope they don't get rid of it selfishly because that trip to Indy for any anybody that's went to watch their team play is so much fun and it's a great experience. Um, one interesting <laughs> approach I heard to the playoff um, from you know I, I mentioned him before McElroy you know from the from the first team there on Sirius XM was a moving target of how many teams get in. Maybe you cap it off, but you probably don't have to. And the way that would work is you just look at who's deserving of being in there. And usually, if you look back at past years and run through it, it hasn't been more than six teams, but more often than not, it's been six teams, not Mm -hmm. four. Um, The year with TCU and Baylor, you would have thrown them both in, and there would have been your six teams. If you look at the year Michigan State made it in, a lot of people would say Ohio State was better than Michigan State. They just laid an egg uh, at home against Tyler (laughs) O'Connor. Yeah, I guess they laid an egg, but you know, obviously Michigan State deserved to make it that year. But Ohio State had had more talent for sure, and they would have been an okay team to get in. And then I forget who who would have been six. And then this year, easy, you could throw in Ohio State and Oklahoma as your five and six, mm-hmm. um, and then four. You know who? Well, who who would move up if if Georgia loses? Maybe you just you know take Alabama and Georgia, tell them they're both in and don't play till next week. Yeah. or whatever yeah um so yeah it's it'll be interesting to see what happens because someone's got to be left out mm-hmm. unless you know the committee gets lucky and everybody that needs to lose does and everybody that needs to win does and we don't have to worry about it yeah, what i, I would think... love to see is clemson lose to Pitt mm-hmm. and see what they do with clemson yep yep i i, I did wasn't even going to mention that because i didn't think of it i i just i can't fathom a situation where clemson loses to Pitt. My, I was going to bring up, you know, the best case scenario for the playoff committee would be to have Georgia and Oklahoma, you know, both lose this weekend, and then Ohio State sneaks in there uh, as, as the fourth spot, or even have Oklahoma and Ohio State both lose, Georgia beat Alabama, and then you got your top four right there. You got Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame. What if easy peasy? And this this leads us into our championship weekend preview, obviously, right here. What if Ohio State wins? Oklahoma wins, Georgia wins, and Pitt wins. So you got one loss Alabama, you got one loss Clemson, you got one loss Georgia, one loss Oklahoma, one loss Ohio State. <laughs> the nice Ooh. thing is I don't I don't care what the committee decides to do because <laughs> Notre Dame's already locked in. Yeah, Notre Dame's got the one spot. But who yep. the hell do you put in? I know everybody everybody wants Clemson, you know, mm-hmm. because Clemson's been so dominant over the past, you know, handful of years, but Clemson's had the easiest schedule out of all those teams. Yeah, for sure. And and I think people, I think people kind of poo poo Oklahoma's schedule because it's the big 12 and you don't play defense, but there is no way. I don't think there's any team maybe. I know this is a, a, a long, a long stretch here, but any team that could go through the big 12 and not lose one game. Mm hmm. With the way that those teams play offense, and 
And even going back to last year, you had Oklahoma in the semifinal game, almost knocked off Georgia, and then Georgia went in the next week and took Alabama to overtime. So I don't think there's as much of a discrepancy between the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12 as a lot of people like to make it out to be. No, and and you see glimpses even with Alabama of some vulnerabilities. Certainly, if if Tua goes down, then it's a complete game changer. And now you're you're back to last year where they're absolutely beatable. And without Tua, would have never beat Georgia. Georgia would have been mm-hmm. the national champs last year. So right. it, I mean, this weekend sets up for one hell of a two day period. You mentioned you got Washington, Utah Friday night to start us off, which is perfect because. You know, they didn't do it based on the importance of the game, but it is kind of perfect because that game doesn't really matter, but it'll be fun to watch, mm-hmm. um, see who gets to the Rose Bowl out of those two. And then you start out uh, on Saturday, you've got uh, Oklahoma, West Virginia, leads us into Bama, Georgia, and then you got Ohio State, Northwestern, and um, uh, Clemson Pitt to top mm-hmm. it off. I got to imagine you have the same game uh, as I do as far as uh, most interesting to watch, and that's Bama-Georgia at 3.30. By far, uh, yeah. Yeah, without question. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody else could have another game circled of, of more importance, but I think, you know, the Ohio State game is certainly important, but uh, the Oklahoma-Texas game could certainly be interesting just knowing that this is a rematch. It's a rivalry game. Texas had already knocked off the Sooners earlier in the year by three points at a neutral site, so... You know, the, the action starts at noon and it's not going to stop till close to midnight. And regardless of whether or not you can watch all of the games this weekend or if you can just pick one, you know, I, I don't think if you if you pick the Texas Oklahoma game and you had something to do later on in the day during the Bama Georgia game, you know, you'll, you'll still catch a lot of great college football action and certainly some games that could have an impact on how the overall playoff rankings shake out next Sunday. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm tuning into Big 12 and SEC. Certainly going to watch the night games with the ACC and Big Ten. Um, I'm not as interested in those just because, obviously, we don't have those marquee matchups uh, that we look for. Although, the marquee matchup would be if, you know, Michigan got bumped over to the West, and so we could see a matchup between those two, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, twice in a row. Although, I don't know that the Wolverines would enjoy that one uh, if we had back-to-back meetings between the two. Uh, in Columbus and then in Indy, although at least it would be a neutral site for those guys. Yeah, that I would like to see that. I know a lot <laughs> of fans are, are probably already sick of uh, Urban Meyer in Ohio State, and they're kind of just ready to roll into bowl season without having that scenario play out. Um, but yeah, I think uh, overall it should be a good championship weekend. Don't sleep on the inaugural Sun Belt Championship between the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and Appalachian State. That should be a good one. Yeah, well, you know, they've already played. App State beat them by 10 at home, although I believe the game's back at App State again because I think yep. they do they do home field for the, the number one seeded team. So is it a different outcome? I don't know. Vegas seems to think so. They've got the spread at 17.5, I believe. So... Could go either way. I think I think the benefit, the advantage is actually to the Raging Cajuns. You lost. It was only by 10, but now you're hungrier than ever, and maybe App State's kind of resting on their laurels. They already won. You know, you got to play a team you already beat by double digits. So we'll see. I, I think it could be an interesting one, and sure, certainly a good way to uh, 
past the time or use up a, a second or third TV that you've got. Yeah, I'm not sure what channel it's on. Probably ESPN, the Ocho. It's yeah. on somewhere. I mean, these days every game's on TV somewhere. You just gotta you just gotta look for it sometimes. So great games all around. It, I'm excited. I'm already excited right now to talk next week <laughs> after we get these games. After we get the rankings out, we'll have the bowl schedules set and ready to roll. So there will be a lot to talk about. We might have to go for like segments because it might be, you know, three one-hour segments that we'll have to break it down into. And certainly we'll come back uh, with our bowl predictions and analysis of all those bowls as we go through the weeks in December and into January. Oh, um, sure. But I think it's time to get into the picks for the week. I'm having a little trouble making these picks right now. Um, I'm going to give give the audience full disclosure here, Hunt, and, and let them know that I'm currently in first place in our pick for just over 500 buckaroos. And I, sh- I let my, my lead get shortened from eight games to four over this past weekend. I turned in my worst performance of the year. And so I've got to come away out of 16 games. I can't give up uh, four games out of those 16. So I'm a little nervous about it. I don't know if I should do a pick or not, just because I don't know if the guy in second place listens or not. Maybe you can shed some light on that. I think it's your buddy. I will say two things here. One, why don't you just pick some FCS games this weekend? Okay. That might be, that might be a solution. Uh, the person in second place is a, a good friend of mine. Um, he is a an avid listener to the podcast, and he did text me earlier this week and said, <laughs> you need to make sure that Baruki <laughs> makes his picks, that you guys get the podcast out early this week, and that he sticks to those picks. So uh, the, you are on the line. You're on the hot seat right now. And, I mean, it, it's a four-game lead with 16 to go. It's fairly comfortable, but certainly not uh, a situation where you can just kind of coast or be in cruise control the rest of the way. You'll have to work for that $500 in this final week. I know, but I'm getting those those butterflies of last year when I was up by even more, I think, and then I slipped for like three straight weeks, and you came back and tied it or went up one going into the last week. No, that was and, that was not me. That was the guy. The guy that's in second place right now was the one that was in first last year until the final week when you overtook him. Oh, so you gosh. guys have a little bit of rivalry going the last two I years. Get, yeah, well, much better rivalry than Michigan and Ohio State have. <laughs> yeah, sure. Shout out, Pat. Give us a listen, download, subscribe. He did leave a review too, I believe. So that's uh, he. He's certainly one of our listeners. That's a lifer at this point. Was Was he the one that said we should add somebody else to the mix, and that was him? No, that I still I still thing. haven't figured out who left that review, but I'll uh, I'll look into it. All right. Well, why don't you start us off, anyways, and I'll I'll decide if I got enough cojones to uh, jump in. There you go. All right. Well, I'm going to start off then with the American Championship game between Memphis and UCF. These teams played earlier in the year, and UCF had to make a triumphant comeback and pull away with a 31-30 to victory. That was with Mackenzie Milton, though. So without Mackenzie Milton, this offense for UCF is completely different. Um, you know, we had two situations where the backup for the Golden Knights had to play this year. One was against East Carolina earlier in the year. He was 12-20 for 20 for 69 yards. The team overall had 316 rush yards that game. And then last week against South Florida... Um, Their backup was 5 for 14 for 81 yards passing, and the team had 391 rush yards. So the the UCF team, this offense, this explosive offense under Josh Heupel, 
they need to run the ball to win the game because they're not going to do it through the air. The bad news is that Memphis has the third best rush defense in the American Athletic Conference. I think without Mackenzie Milton, UCF is not in, in, in the spot for a New Year's Six bowl game. I'm going to take Memphis plus three, and I actually think that the Tigers win this one outright. Yeah, I was a little confused on the lack of adjustment to the spread that I thought we'd see with Mackenzie Milton not playing. Um, Vegas stayed steady with that three or three and a hook uh, throughout the week so far. Kind of surprising because it wasn't like Milton might come back for the game. We all knew he was out. If Gosh, if you saw the injury, you knew he wasn't coming back in anytime soon. It was brutal. Um, so, yeah, weird game there. Um, I think I've made the decision that I'll just tell you who I think is going to win the game. And whether or not they cover the spread <laughs> is, is really up to uh, other people. <laughs> so I'll go with the Friday night matchup to start. And I do think that the Huskies will win the game. Whether they cover the five and a half, Pat, is completely up in the air. I really just don't know which way to go on that one. But I'll take the Huskies in a victory. Any score prediction? They will win by somewhere between five and six points. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, I won't, I won't hold you to the fire too much then and, and ask for uh, any more information from you lest you divulge <laughs> your strategy for this upcoming weekend. Uh, yes. My second game, I'm going to go Pitt versus Clemson in the ACC championship. All the Tigers got to do in this one is win. Doesn't, meet, doesn't matter if it's by one point. Doesn't matter if it's by 50 points. They just need a W to get into the playoff. Now, their only regular season loss two years ago, the year that they won the national title, was to Pitt. So certainly not outside the realm of possibilities that the Panthers might be able to pull off an upset. The only difference here is I don't think the Tigers are going to be sleepwalking. Trevor Lawrence has thrown for 250-plus yards in five of his last six starts. So the offense is humming. The defense had a little bit of trouble last week against South Carolina, but outside of that, they've been pretty solid on the year. And Pitt is coming off a 24-3 loss to Miami in a game that we both thought they'd probably cover uh, as just five-point underdogs. Pitt just doesn't have the talent or the depth to keep pace with Clemson. So I'm going to take Clemson minus 27.5, and, and I think they roll Pitt in this one. Yeah, that's, that's a good pick. You know, I thought the same thing last week with South Carolina – and they had the spread covered, and then they didn't, just uh, just like Notre Dame. And they gave it up, and Pitt's right in the same arena, right? They're 25 or whatever it is. And so it's right where South Carolina was. That, that to me, is the biggest toss-up, is when you've got two Power 5 teams um, with such a big spread, and you saw Pitt just get waxed by Miami last week, which I don't know what in the heck happened there. But, uh, yeah, that's a tough pick. I don't know which way I'm going to go on that one. Really, I, I don't know right now which way I'm going to pick. I might just close my eyes and click um, when it comes to Saturday. Uh, but the next one that I'm going to call is I got Ohio State beating Northwestern somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 17 points, I think will be the, uh, the victory margin for the Buckeyes. Um, so I, if Northwestern wins this, I will be beyond shocked. Um, I, I can't see any way that Northwestern comes out of this one. Doesn't mean they won't put up a good fight. Um, I imagine they'll put up a better fight than Michigan, but will it be enough to, uh, to keep the Buckeyes from covering the 14 points? We'll have to find out Saturday night. We'll have to wait till Saturday night to find out. That's right. That's right. Uh, Fresno State at Boise State is my third game. This is the Mountain West Championship on Saturday. 
a rematch of the regular season game between these two teams in which Boise won 24-17 despite being home underdogs, which for Boise State is a rare occurrence for them to be uh, a dog at home. Boise is a tough team to beat twice uh, in, in one season, let alone once in a season. Um, I know Fresno State comes into this one as one of the better group of five teams, certainly has one of the best defenses out of any group of five team in the country. But the Broncos get Fresno at home once again. Their quarterback, Brett Rippon, has been on fire since mid-October. He's thrown 15 touchdowns and just two interceptions the last six games. I think home field advantage here is critical for Boise State to be able to beat Fresno for the second time in just under a month. And hey, if UCF loses on Saturday to Memphis and Boise wins, I think the Broncos might be in line for a New Year's Six game as that group of five uh, entries. So I'm going to take Boise State minus two and a half on Saturday against Fresno. Yeah, Boise's been playing great, and they are there. You know, you go play on that blue field, and uh, anything can happen except for usually a victory for the the visiting squad. And not to mention, you know, you mentioned uh, Brett Ripien on offense, slinging the ball around, but their defense has been playing well. And to hold Utah State last weekend to 24 points when they're averaging, I think, well over 35, I think they're up in the neighborhood of 38 per game, that's a huge victory for the defense. Um, Utah State's been running through everybody except, I think, Colorado State was the only team that held them uh, below 20 and you know even Michigan State's defense granted it was game one of the year they gave up 31 to Utah State so Boise's rolling on all cylinders as you mentioned though Fresno caught them already and they're you know they're still playing great football so that'll be a tough one to call and uh, I'm gonna stay away from that one as well <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you one that I have absolutely no clue about and that's Liberty and Norfolk State with a 29.5-point spread. What did you just call me? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Norfolk State. I know where Norfolk is, and it's Norfolk, actually, if you're from Virginia, I've been told. But Norfolk State, never heard of them. Um, Liberty just joined the FBS this year. And uh, outside of a big win over Old Dominion, I don't know what they've done. Um, so that should be an interesting game. Not sure where that one will go. So where are we looking at? Oh, Bama, Georgia. That's the next one I'll pick. Bama beats Georgia somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 points or two touchdowns. Again, not sure which way it'll go. Spread is 13. <laughs> not going to pick it. I love Bama wins. <laughs> I love how you're straddling the spread right there. 10 points to 14 points. Oh, by the way, the spread is 13 and a half. So it could go yeah. either way. Way to not give. Way to hold those cards close to your chest. That's the true. Too many, there's too many toss-ups that I, I have no clue about. I mean, Iowa State plays Drake this weekend, and it's a 42 and a half point spread. How the hell is am he I doing, supposed to know? Is he doing a concert names afterwards? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't believe that Drake is willing to take on a whole team by himself. Good for him. I I hope that's televised somewhere. Yeah. Uh, my fourth game I'll pick is the Conference USA Championship between UAB and Middle Tennessee. These two teams played just one week ago, and Middle Tennessee rolled UAB 27-3. to uh, The Blue Raiders held UAB to minus one yards rushing and 89 total yards of offense on the day. They also sacked 
UAB's quarterback seven times and got 12 tackles for loss. So they were in the backfield almost more than UAB's tailbacks were all throughout the day. Uh, Middle Tennessee's quarterback, Brent Stockstill, he's second in the conference in passer rating. He's thrown 26 touchdowns to just six interceptions on the year. Certainly a key element for Middle Tennessee in this game. I don't think things can get much worse for UAB compared to a week ago, but I also don't think they can get a whole lot better considering Middle Tennessee is favored by just a point and a half. So I'm going to lay that point and a half and take Middle Tennessee to be favored at home in this one, minus one and a half. Give me the Blue Raiders as the conference USA champs in 2018. That was very interesting and very informational, and you may have swayed which way I picked that game. So or maybe I appreciate I didn't. that. Or maybe I didn't. You'll have to find out on Saturday. Yeah, you may have not. I mean, you don't know which way you swayed it even if you did because sure. uh, yep. you don't know where I started out at. I right. heard that things can't get worse for UAB, so that tells me it's a win. But then you pick Middle Tennessee State. I don't know. I don't know which way I'm going. <laughs> uh, what's the next game we can pick here that's easy <laughs> and I cannot really pick it? Uh, NC State, East Carolina. Certainly NC State's going to win that game. They're going to beat the Pirates, the dirty, dirty Pirates of East Carolina. Um, the Wolfpack, much better team, much more talent. And I would say you could get three to four touchdowns out of this victory. Yet to be seen how many points NC State will put on the board. And it's hard to plan on the weather for those damn games out on the East Coast. And that has played a huge part in all of the outcomes of these games. If you've watched the Pitt-Virginia game this year, the Virginia Tech-Virginia game from last weekend, weather has controlled these outcomes. So certainly if you're looking for some pointers, check out the weather before you make some of these bets, especially for the over-unders. Uh, those play a big part in what the outcome is. And I just realized, Ryan, I could have just picked over-unders for all of my picks. I really this screwed is, the pooch. This is way, way more entertaining to have you just <laughs> roll, you know, kind of spin the globe and put your finger on a spot. And, oh, I'm going to pick NC State versus East Carolina this week. So I like the way this is going. Hey, just call me John Kerry. I'm the flip-flopper, dude. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, you're playing the best of both sides right now. Could go one way, could go the other. Look, you're in you're in line for 500 bucks cash money. I'd do the same thing if I were you. Smart strategy on your part. Yeah, I needed to pay off all my other gambling debts. Exactly. I'm <laughs> just trying to help you out. Uh, trying my, to break even here. That's right. Uh, my fifth and final game. This is going to be my point total pick for the week. It's Georgia and Alabama. One game where weather won't play a factor considering they're playing indoors in Atlanta. But the point total here is 63 and a half. And I know Alabama has this high-powered offense and Tua can just sling the rock around the field and somehow, some way, they beat everybody by 20-plus. But both defenses are pretty highly ranked in the SEC. They're both allowing less than 20 points per game. So uh, for a contest where Vegas is obviously thinking is going to be pretty high scoring, I think both defenses are actually going to come to play here in this one. And even if Alabama walks away with a 20-point victory again uh, over an SEC opponent, I still think the point total stays under 63.5. So I'm going to take the under at uh, 63.5 in the SEC championship. Uh, and I think I think Bama rolls in this one. Yeah, Bama, you know, that's always a tough pick. This is the first time that we've had a spread this close. Uh, so Probably, it's yeah, definitely sure. more interesting uh, than the other games have been. And it's funny because it's not any easier to pick, I, I don't think, than the ones that are 24 or 28 points difference that, you you know, you just don't know 
the outcome. You assume Bama will roll, but sometimes I think Saban takes it easy depending on who he's playing uh, as well. So it'll be it'll be an interesting one Saturday afternoon. Um, the last pick that I'll put in, I'll actually make a pick here, and I'm going to go back to Indy with the over-under. 61 points is what we're getting for Northwestern Ohio State. Again, I think Ohio State is going to try to put up as many points as humanly possible. There will be no victory formation for Urban Meyer. It doesn't matter if there's 24 seconds left in the game. He is not kneeling out the clock because he's got to impress anyone he can impress. And they might give up a lot of points themselves like they did with Michigan because of that approach. Um, Northwestern can score. They're going to throw the ball most of the time. So certainly through the air is going to be quicker to the end zone for the Wildcats. I think we put up, you know, Ohio State might have 61 themselves, and then you could throw Northwestern in there. They might have another 50-some points, you know, to keep it close again to that spread. We don't want to commit one way or the other with what Northwestern will have. Uh, but I, I'm seeing points, you know, up in the 80s or 90s for this game. Yeah, I originally had this one written down for a point total pick as well. Uh, I was going to take the under, but then I remembered just how many style points Ohio State needs in right. this one to impress the committee. So like you said, Ohio State could certainly score 61 on their own, and Northwestern's probably going to get into the end zone you know, three or four times. So I think the over here is probably the smarter play despite my uh, previous inclinations. Yeah, and for those of you that are thinking, oh, wait, but it's Indianapolis. It's the Midwest. What's the weather going to be? It's a dome. It's indoors. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we got you covered. Yeah. Literally. Actually, actually, Pat, if you're listening, they, they might open the roof on, on the on the dome there. So it could be raining and snowing. We have no idea. Cats and dogs, mass hysteria. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was actually the most fun I had making picks so far. Um, it's actually nice to just be on the fence and not not fall one way or the other. Yeah, very uh, middle of the road there. You're like an independent voter uh, that's trying to get, you know, get swayed one way or the other. So we'll have to find out Saturday night, Sunday morning, how the picks fell for you. And uh, if you're getting that nice Venmo uh, sometime next week with $500 cash money. Yeah, well, if I do, I'm just going to go right to the casino, Hollywood Casino, downtown Toledo, and let that stuff ride all on red. And see what happens. Ooh, oh, don't forget to save maybe 20, 30 bucks for bull pick them though. Well, and another 20 to get, get back home in the car there. Right. But yeah, other, sudden, than that, other than that, it's all, it's all going on red for sure. Right. Of course. Yep. Which means I'll come back broke and be right back where I started <laughs> before the college football season got underway. But that's the fun part, right? Betting, even if you don't win, just to have that rush when you're watching touchdown after touchdown and upsets and everything in between. Do you struggle with addiction? (laughs) Yeah. What's the 800 number? Maybe we'll have to start putting that at the end of the podcast. That might be a good idea. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, I think we're going to finally wrap up uh, this week's podcast. I tell you what, I I always have to figure out the way we're going to go out each podcast, each episode. At the end, after we've done it, I kind of run through some songs and decide what I want to do. But all week, championship week, ESPN puts on those kind of hype videos. 
and I hear that Imagine Dragons song, Natural, and it gets me all jacked up. It's one of my favorite songs that they've had for college football. And so I'm going to let Imagine Dragons slowly come in here and take us out. Hunt with Bruce, championship week. We'll see you guys next week. Go watch some football. Ohio State just scored again. And you're standing on the edge face up because you're a man.